So I want to talk this morning about God's expectations for his people. Some of you may have um, studied at school the book Great Expectations by Charles Dickens, uh, a great classic. Um, the young man had a benefactor who wanted to see him go on and excel and be, become a gentleman, had great expectations. Well, God is our benefactor. Is that right? He is our benefactor. And he has great expectations for us. Isn't that right? Great expectations. We see in the New Testament, Jesus asked a great deal of those who would follow him. And many, after hearing Jesus' call to forsake all, turned back and were no longer interested. And you know, <clears throat> he expects much more than believing. Even, even the demons believe. But that doesn't help them. That won't give them eternal life. He expects much more than church attendance much more than prayer, much more than giving, even though all of those are very important. But Jesus challenged the people of the day to embrace a radically different standard, to love their neighbour, their enemies, forgive those who wrong us, share with those who have little to sacrifice much. God asks for everything. He called his 12 disciples to change their world 2,000 years ago and he calls us to do the same. Amen. You know, the word gospel literally means good news. Jesus declared that he had come to preach good news. And we see that in Luke chapter 4, particularly verses 18 and 19 where he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So these verses have a lot in them. First, we see the proclamation of the good news of salvation. And the first recipients were to be the poor. Second, we see a commitment to justice. Jesus had come to proclaim, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, <clears throat> to release the oppressed. And third, we see a reference to recovery of sight to the blind. And we know in Jesus' ministry, while he was on earth, he healed the sick and the lame, he showed empathy to the poor and fed the hungry. The proclamation of the year of the Lord's favour was a reference to the Old Testament year of Jubilee, where slaves were set free, where debts were forgiven. The year of Jubilee was a way of God protecting the rich from getting too rich and the poor from getting even poorer. He was trying to level it out, even it out a little. 
So proclaiming the whole gospel means more than just evangelism, more than salvation, as good as salvation is, and we all know that. It encompasses compassion for the sick and for the poor. Biblical justice. Efforts to right the wrongs that are so prevalent in our world today. If this was Jesus' mission, then it is also the mission of those who claim to follow him. It's my mission. It's your mission. It's the mission of the church. Do we think we can coast through life and have an easy time with the abundance around us and expect a well done from God? I don't think that's going to happen. What are God's expectations of us? Scripture gives us a clue. The, the verses we read certainly give us a clue. Micah 6, eight. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Just going back to the passage in Luke, it was the culmination of the fulfilment of more than 20 centuries of God speaking to mankind, speaking to the nation of Israel through Moses and the prophets. The great themes of reconciliation, compassion, justice were woven deeply throughout the Old and the New Testaments. And there are two remarkable passages that provide a lot of clarity of what I'm talking about of God's expectations of those who claim to follow him. And they're in Isaiah 58 and Matthew 25. There are many others, but we only have time to perhaps look at a couple this morning. The book of Isaiah was addressed to people in captivity. They'd been brutally overrun, conquered by Assyria. God's punishment for years of unfaithfulness and idolatry. They were desperately trying to get right with God. They were people just going through the motions, praying, fasting, holding religious ceremonies. It's often easy to do, isn't it? Go through the motions. God spoke against their hypocrisy and painted a picture of what true faithfulness would look like. And verses 6 and 7 show us what pleases God. In essence, those two, those two verses, God was looking for them to feed the hungry, care for the poor, clothe for the naked and work for justice. In verses 8 to 11, God offers an amazing promise to those who respond to what pleases God. Your prayers will be answered. Who wants their prayers answered? We all do, don't we? Your light will rise in the darkness. The Lord will guide and strengthen you. You will be a spring whose waters will never fail. And I'm sure all of us would want that in our lives. We will want that for our brothers and sisters, don't we? But there are conditions attached to that as we 
saw in the previous couple of verses. God wants us to be the people of God. And as we are the people of God, he will pour out his blessing on us. This is a vision of God's people transforming God's world, God's way. And if we are to be part of his coming kingdom, God expects our lives, our churches and our communities to be characterised by these authentic signs of transformation. Matthew 25. God has great expectations from Matthew 25. I just want to read a few verses there. Matthew 25, 31 to 46. I'll read from the New King James. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Very sobering words. But the big picture is plain to see. The separation between the sheep and the goats. The sheep acted in tangible and loving ways towards the poor, the sick and the imprisoned, while the goats did not. And of course, James talks about this, faith without works is dead. Dead faith cannot save us. We have to be people of action. Our faith has to have some actions. And so we see these people's, the, the sheep's lives were characterised by acts of love done to the least of these. And Christ welcomed them into his kingdom. 
those who failed to respond, those whose faith found no expression in compassion for the needy, were banished into everlasting punishment. And the question for us today is, will Christ find genuine concern for our neighbour when he looks at the fruit in our lives on Judgment Day? A sobering question for all of us. Is it possible today that many of us who call ourselves Christians on Judgment Day, Jesus will say, I never knew you? Let that not happen to us. You know, with the advantage of hindsight, we can read the Old Testament accounts of the nation of Israel and understand why God called them such a stiff-necked people. How many times did they fail to get it? Instead, chose to behave in a way that God's judgment was brought upon them. They worshipped the golden calf. And this is just after they saw God do these, send these plagues on Egypt. This was after God had parted the Red Sea. You think, why? Why did they do it? During the period of the kings, leader after leader in Israel and Judah disobeyed God. And the people did too. The phrase did evil in the eyes of the Lord, is used 50 times to describe their behaviour. It's bewildering to see how clueless these people seem to be, even though God had chosen them, given them prophets to live amongst them. How could they miss the big picture so badly? Let's fast forward to the New Testament. After 2,000 years of prophecy, the long-awaited Messiah finally came, Jesus Christ. Most failed to recognise him. The religious leaders conspired to kill him because he was challenging their religious traditions. Jesus' strongest denunciations were not directed at thieves and murderers, but the faith people of the day, the very people who had studied the scriptures. These, how could these learned men go so wide of the mark? The question for us today, do we understand? Do we understand what God requires and demands of us? Do we get it? Have we gone so wide of the mark that we don't realise it. Let's learn some lessons from history. You know, one of the things I say about history is you don't learn from history. Well, we have a golden opportunity to learn from history. From all that's gone before, all that's been written in the Old and the New Testament, we have that opportunity. We have it right there in front of us. And God wants us to get it. You know, Paul not only encountered Christ on the Damascus Road that day, Paul encountered Jesus every day after. He had to, to keep his focus and his passion. And so each one of us have to encounter 
Jesus Christ every day to keep our focus and to keep our passion. It's not what you believe that counts. It's what you believe enough to do. And Jesus asks much more of us than just believing the right things. We can have faith, but without action, it's dead. We have to have action connected to our faith. As we hear the word of God, we have to mix it with faith and to be doers of the word. You know, like most of us, I can get distracted about how good life is here in Australia. We live in a nice home, a pleasant neighbourhood, surrounded by abundance of shops, go out to dinner every now and again, have holidays. Technology. Technology. And I've been blessed with a good education. I can get on a plane and a few hours later find myself amongst poverty, disease, hopelessness in a third world country. As I mentioned, Dee and I were in India recently with um, Sarah and Mika, had a great time. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks, Sarah and Mika will have an opportunity to share um, some of the exciting times over there. But you know, we, we look into the eyes of of Christian folk who are sick in their bodies, who need jobs, who are crying out to God for their harvest not to fail. We speak to orphans and widows who are in desperate situations. I come back home and I look around again at the abundance of our nation the easy lifestyles that we have. And I struggle to maintain a sense of, of, um, of brokenness and caring. You know, sometimes it's easy to get jaded and clouded. And I see poverty quite often when I go overseas. But it's easy sometimes to think, oh yeah, that's, that's just it, that's just the way it is, and sort of move on and forget about it. But I often pray to God, Lord, soften my heart that I may see the world as you see it. Take, take out this heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. You know, the world's poor are beaten up and lying by the wayside. While the, while the majority of us pass by without stopping. And I think there's a hole in our thinking that needs to be addressed, needs to be repaired there's some transformation that needs to happen. And I'd be the first one to put my hand up. I need transforming. We prayed for the persecuted today. Let's do more than just pray. Praying is important. Praying is good. Let's give to organisations who are working with the persecuted. They need our prayers and they need our practical support. The Apostle Paul spoke of this same issue of disparity in 2 Corinthians 8. He urged the wealthier Corinthian church to give generously to Christians in Jerusalem who were doing it tough. 
You know, when tragedy happens to us, or someone close to us, we're right there. We'll pull out all the stops. Does God have different levels of compassion for people based on their geographical location, their nationality, or their race? <clears throat> Many in poverty are trapped by circumstances beyond their power to change. In fact, their daily labour is often more strenuous than many of us would experience. I've seen heavy burdens that people carry, that they pull, that they push. I've seen people, particularly in Africa, on their push bike, cycling five to ten kilometres with produce on the back, loaded up in big bags to market hoping to sell, to buy money, to buy some other things to help them. Pictures of heavy burdens. <laughs> you, can't, you can't believe it sometimes, the things you see, <laughs> particularly overseas. And it's amazing how... Uh, things get stacked up and how it all holds together. I've seen, a, I've seen a pig on the back of a motorbike, tied, fairly, fairly large pig. Bricks, I don't know how that guy could ever carry those bricks. But these are heavy burdens, now these are physical burdens, but the poor in this world, many of them work very, very hard, and don't see, cannot see an end to it. This results in entrenched futility, devastating to the human spirit. Hope begins to fade when they realise that it doesn't matter how hard they work, they really can't get ahead. There's no escape, unless something happens, unless their circumstances change. One thing that we're doing in India is um, with microfinance, we've given quite a few small loans to individuals to start up a, a small business. Um, everything from shops to hair salons to um, buying uh, large concrete mixers which sit on the side of the road and if, um, if work is being done in the neighbourhood, then tradesmen will come along and they'll hire this, this cement mixer for a few days. So there are a whole lot of different ways in which uh, that can work. We also help with education. Parents, you know how important education is for your children, don't you? You will, you will do anything to give your children a good education. People in third world countries, parents are just as adamant that they want education for their children as well. And, and why shouldn't they? Because in many ways, education will help lift the next generation out of that poverty level, will give them jobs that, um, that will be good. You know, Ezekiel wrote about Sodom's cardinal sin. Ezekiel 16, 49. 
Sodom's cardinal sin was wealth-induced arrogance and unconcern for the poor, as well as committing abominations. We always equate Sodom with um, homosexuality, and it's true that, that it is, but that as well. Arrogance and unconcern for the poor. Think about our own lives. <clears throat> How successful would you or your family have been if you'd lived in a place where there's no clean water? A quarter of all children die before their fifth birthday. Imagine growing up constantly weak, malnourished, to the point where your body and mind become stunted. And today, around the world, there are children whose brains are being damaged through lack of nutritious food. We um, had an opportunity in our recent trip to India to travel around and look at some of the water bores that we've funded to put down. We've put, put down half a dozen so far uh, in different villages. These water bores are for the whole community. So it doesn't matter what religion, what ethnic group you are, you, everyone is invited to use those wells. There's one particular well in a place where it's near a school, Hindu school of about 500 students, and so they all use that well. And on all, all our um, bores, we have a, a plaque there saying, Jesus is the living water. And our prayer is that everyone who draws water will discover Jesus as the living water. We've also put toilets in as well. Some of the ladies had the great opportunity of using them while we were over there. But, you know, health and hygiene, we, we take it for granted here, don't we, in Australia. But in third world countries, you cannot take it for granted. The 1040 window, 10 to 40 degrees north of the equator, that band on the world map, <coughs> continues to represent the primary challenge entering our 21st century. There are 2.8 billion who have never heard the gospel. They're in the, 95% are in the 1040 window. It's where 85% of the world's poorest live. It's where 95% of Muslims, Hindus and Buddhists live and where the largest number of unreached people groups are. In our trips to India, we, we um, take pastors' conferences. This time we had about um, 100 to 110 pastors and leaders there they go out into these unreached villages and take the gospel, take the good news. Not just the salvation gospel, they are um, also working in, in, in deed as well. They're, they're seeking to um, show compassion in, in many, many ways. The full gospel, the whole gospel, if you like. And that's exciting. I've for many years, I wanted to have a connection to people working with unreached people groups and 
Graciously, God has allowed me the privilege, and it is a privilege, to be amongst men and women who are on the front line in those unreached areas. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's great. It's exciting. I've always said the Great Commission can be our greatest adventure. And it is. It is. And so the 1040 window is a place of huge need in our world. More labourers are needed. Amen? We live in a world of over 7 billion. The majority are non-Western, non-white and non-Christian with a growing disparity between rich and poor. That's the world we live in. And there are people across the world crying out in desperation to God for help. Millions of prayers are going up from the saints. And each of us who claim to be his followers should be part of the answer to those prayers. We are the ones who are to bring the good news of Christ to the poor. God has not turned his back on them. He sent us. Amen? He sent us. That's what the Great Commission is all about. Very sobering verse in Proverbs 21. Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. We know the story of Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man was well aware of Lazarus. The Bible says, at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. The rich man didn't abuse Lazarus, didn't beat him up, didn't mistreat him, simply ignored him passed by him day after day with indifference. He was aware of the beggar's plight. He had the power to relieve his suffering, yet he chose to do nothing. <coughs> I guess you could say he's one of the goats in Matthew chapter 25. But has Hasn't God laid the poor at our door? At our gate? Outside our comfortable lifestyles lie the poorest of the poor in the world. Longing for a few crumbs from our table. We can't say we don't know. We can't say we don't have the means to help. God's heart was broken over the condition of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day. And Nehemiah's heart, sorry, God's heart is broken today with the condition of our world. I'm starting to finish up now. But Nehemiah wasn't willing to accept the status quo. After weeping and fasting, he prayed, asking forgiveness for himself and the apathy and the sin of God's people. Then he challenged the Jews of Jerusalem to act. Nehemiah was a man of vision. We can learn a lot from him. He was a man of vision, he was a man of prayer, and he was a man of action. And that's what we need today. 
Our world, like Nehemiah's, lies in ruins and we need a fresh vision. You know, the gospel we've been given, the whole gospel, is God's vision for a new way of living. The power of this gospel was announced by Jesus in the synagogue in Nazareth when he made that audacious claim. He made an outrageous promise that the good news would be preached to the poor and that justice would be restored. This was God's plan to change the world. He chose his followers to be the change and we are the ones to bring the good news to the poor. How do you see the world around you? What do you see as your part? Do we understand God's expectations for us? Could all the musicians come back, please? Just some practical application, just to finish off with. I believe we need to get into our prayer closets and like Nehemiah, pray and ask God for forgiveness for our own sin and complacency that we easily drift into. Ask God for revelation for his purposes, for the world and how we fit in. Pray regularly for the persecuted Christians. Pray into the world, the issues and events. Pray for leaders, those in authority. Make ourselves available to God. I'd encourage you, if you haven't already been, go to a third world country and become aware of the plight that so many live in. Be an advocate for change where you are. Be a generous giver to the poor and the persecuted. Study the scriptures to understand what God requires of us. And most of all, to be a person of action. And I guess that's really, in many ways, the punchline. To be people of action. To be people whose faith has, has action, whose faith has an outworking in, wh- in whatever and wherever God has called you to be. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have great expectations for us. And Lord, we thank you for, Lord, that you would give us courage and boldness and strength. Lord, to be your people in this world. Lord, we, we've read and heard of those who have gone before us. Lord, your people in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Lord, many who struggled to, I guess, understand why, why they were there, what they were there for, and the mistakes that they made. Father, we pray that we would learn from their mistakes. Lord, we would not repeat the mistakes that, that, that we, have, we have read about uh, in times past. But Lord, that you would um, help us to be generous givers. Help us to be people of faith, people of prayer, uh, and people of action. And so, Father, we thank you for your word to us. Help us to go out from here 
uh, in power, in might. Lord, courage to be your people, courage to make a difference in this world that you want us to be. We thank you in your name. Amen. Amen.